Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, the U.S. Men's National Team Gold Cup action. Burhalter, of course. Busts. Bob Bradley. Club World Cup. Pulisic. BJ. Choosing lineups. Bulletproof vests. And so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Masi, how you doing on this uh, Monday, June 26th in the year 2023? I am doing well. You know, the first show we did in this new studio, there was an electricity in the air. There were all sorts of executives walking around. Uh, for show number two, a bit of a different vibe, I would say. Well, for those that just listen uh, and don't see us right now, we are back in our uh, more traditional and I would say more comfortable position at the desk. And it was interesting in listening to the show last weekend. And as we mentioned, uh, if you didn't listen or watch, we have moved into these new digs, these new digital studios here on our uh, Fox lot up here on the fifth floor. And they're incredible. But the dynamic of us standing to do a show, I could hear that there was a little bit different. And, you know, I'm I'm more used to it uh, being, you know, on camera and con- consistently doing that. But you know, the gesticulation that I'm able to do, the movement that I do, I thought it, not not necessarily in a bad way, but I think it impacted and changed a little bit of the way that we converse and the way that we go about doing our business here. But did you feel comfortable? Because you look comfortable. Today? No, standing up uh, the other day. Uh, Yeah, no, it it went well. It's a little different. But this is my preferred... uh, We are in your comfort zone right now. And you look comfortable. We're we're back with the hats and everything. Wearing pants again. Pants again. Um, So, you know, that that has uh, continued on through. And we will. Look, we will use all of the capabilities of these incredible studios as we go forward. As we mentioned, you saw us on stage last week. We have uh, some fireside chat type of environments that we uh, we could use for interviews and that kind of stuff. But um, are you watching anything, my friend? Uh, nothing new in terms of TV shows, but I tell you, I've been watching a lot of the news. Uh, Mark Twain has a quote that truth is stranger than fiction because fiction has to make sense. And I've been gripped to this Russia story, this guy Prigozhin, leader of the Wagner Group, 
mounting a coup against Putin, but then backing off at the last minute. He's now been exiled to Belarus. That's a country where you and I spent a lot of time in 2018 covering the Men's World Cup. So uh, I've been following that story. Also, you texted me news that the Vatican is releasing information on the disappearance of that girl, Manuela Orlandini. Yeah, we it talked was just, about the documentary. Yep. It was just the 40-year anniversary of her disappearance, June 22nd, 1983. So I've been following that story. So it's been a lot more of the news than necessarily watching TV but, shows. I mean, the, the news in and of itself, like you said, has just been incredible. And obviously the, the, the horrible fate that I think we all predicted of the uh, submersible and all, all of these types of things. So yeah, there, there is plenty to not just whet your appetite, but to keep you, keep you well fed when it comes to the news. I did watch one thing. Um, it's, it's a documentary called Second Chance. And it is about the life of Richard Davis, who will not mean anything to you, except he invented the modern concealable bulletproof vest. And it goes through this incredible life that he lived. And he was very interesting and eccentric. Um, and he was an incredible showman and marketer, so much so that, you know, these these vests that he ended up selling uh, to obviously law enforcement and to the military and all over, in the marketing of it, he would actually shoot himself. And so there's all this incredible footage of him over time, not just developing these vests, but then actually in order to sell them and prove how good they were, he would, you know, he would take a gun, point it at his chest and fire it, and then take that same gun and turn and fire to hit targets because his thinking was, well, it's all fine and well if it stops the bullet initially. But if I'm incapacitated in that moment as a law enforcement agent, I can't then return fire, protect myself, protect others going forward. So it's, a, it's just a fascinating study into this man who on the surface did a whole lot of good and saved lots of lives in the process by developing this uh, this vest. And you, you can see you go through the process and the different models and how it got smaller, but still incredibly protective and protective and ultimately was used by so many. But then it gets into a lot of the, you know, the the nitty gritty of the business. And this was a you know, $50 million business and, and continued to sell stuff based out of Michigan. And he employed thousands of people ultimately over the lifetime of these uh, businesses that he had. But there also came a point where he knew he was selling at, uh, at times defective devices. And so it goes through all of that and just a, a, a nutty, nutty story relative uh, to, to this man who invented the uh, conceivable, uh, con concealable bulletproof vest. It's called Second Chance. I do recommend it because it was really interesting and not something that I ever would have seen. There's not a whole lot of marketing behind the actual documentary. So I recommend that to you. The other thing I wanted to uh, to mention, and at times I have brought this up, Mossy, um, the, the reach of the State of the Union podcast. And it just continues to not just amaze me, but you know, provide me with incredible gratification that there are people out there that are that are listening to this. And people, some people that we that we know about, but on a continual basis, I will get people that will come up to me and say, hey, I, you know, I listen. And uh, it's, it's not something that we even know necessarily is out there permeating, uh, but it is so much so that I, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago. If you remember, I was doing the, uh, the rounds and I just wanted to, uh, to mention that Bridget, who is wonderful, she works uh, for Fox News and does a whole lot of, um, of the booking and is just is an incredible person, especially because we've done a lot of these um, junkets out there. And she's just wonderful in terms of organizing and, and helping us out. But at one point she said, you know, my boyfriend, Steve, 
he listens to the show constantly. So much so that when I was thanking her, she, uh, she said, oh, I was just talking to my boyfriend and he was listening to the Jermaine Jones interview that we did, uh, did the other day. So I wanted to, again, shout out to uh, both Bridget for everything that she does, but also Steve, who I know listens to the pod. And then I was talking to my friend uh, and our friend in the industry, Mark Connolly, uh, a uh, researcher that's been around for years with ESPN uh, and now with uh, with Major League Soccer and with Apple and doing all that kind of stuff. And he he, like a lot of people, is in his car for a long time. And he wanted to mention that um, that he listens to the show and he's in his car going uh, different places. And, you know, he lives up in New England, going down to uh, New York and doing all those things. And he, he enjoys having the content uh, that is this show and other shows, uh, obviously. But it's just nice to hear that people are listening to it and, uh, and digging it. And inevitably, when I talk to people out there, they, they always want me to say hello to you. So I am both relaying the well wishes that I have gotten uh, over the last couple of months here to you, but also preempting it because I know people are going to want to say how much they love you. Well, hello to Mark. Hello to Bridget. Hello to, what was the Steve, boyfriend's name? Steve, Steve yep. Yeah. Steve, yep. There you go. Uh, are you ready to light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right, where should we start here? Well, the CONCACAF Gold Cup is off and running. The United States involved in the very first game. They played to a 1-1 draw against Jamaica at Soldier Field. Uh, Damian Lowe scored early in the first half for Jamaica. The U.S. trailed for the next 75 minutes, but then Brandon Vasquez came off the bench, scored a late equalizer to rescue a point. Uh, what did you make of this performance? Okay, so first off, big picture, and we've talked a little bit about how it's. this is a a strange gold cup in that it's coming right off of the back of Nations League. And it's a completely, for the most part, completely different team. And obviously it's populated with a lot of MLS players and it's populated with a lot of players that are less experienced and wouldn't necessarily be starters. Although you have players like uh, Matt Turner and goal, who obviously played a very big part in the game. I, I overall I think, and this is what I said on air after the game, this, this should be looked at as a disappointment. This was a disappointing performance. The ultimate result that they got, I think, is fortunate because they should have been down 2-0. Uh, Jamaica missed the penalty. Bailey missed the penalty and the follow-up, by the way, with an incredible shank. Matt Turner saved the penalty, kept the U.S. in the game, and ultimately, credit to the U.S., for fighting back and being able to at least salvage a point. But Jamaica was the better team on the day. I thought that there was a lack of uh, clarity in terms of what they wanted to do, the U.S. I thought that individually there was a consistency in being second to the ball, in not playing quick enough. Uh, I thought if you look around at this lineup, not good enough from Tolkien, not good enough from Aiden Morris, who, who grew into it a little bit, but still I'm not sold on him. Zendejas, not good enough. Sonora, absolutely not good enough. Jordan Morris had a quiet day. Jesus Ferreira in that strange false nine position did nothing, and he was fortunate to be on the field and then provided the assist ultimately with a little bit of luck uh, in terms of a deflection at the end. I will say that, that BJ, BJ Callahan, where we're going to talk about going forward later in the pod too, we judge coaches on their ability to adjust and to change. And at halftime, I said, BJ, you got the job. Now you figure out how to change it. And he did. He made the changes, whether it was Kate Cal who came in and brought a little bit of energy out there on that left-hand side, Christian Roldan bringing a little bit more consistency and forcing, forcing the issue. And then obviously up top with Brandon Vasquez scoring the goal. The goal for Jamaica is maddening, Mossy. 
All right. We've, we remember we had <laughs> we had a whole thing during the World Cup talking about set pieces and the fact that the United States men's national team even had of their plenty of coaches that they have. One of them was actually one job was set pieces and they were horrible on the attacking end. And in this game, we saw that they were horrible on the defending end. They don't have, they no longer have that set piece coach, but still this is a problem because this is fixable. If Jamaica just did an incredible play and went right through the U S and you know, found a way to score a beautiful goal. All right. I can, I can say fine. I don't like it, but at least they did something. This is just, this is a set piece where, the marking was missed, and then the timing communication was off, which obviously kept low on. So that's the initial thoughts. I got, I got some more, but that's my initial thoughts. You? Yeah, it's always frustrating when a player screws up the offside trap like Miazga did. Uh, Junior did that on Paolo Rossi's third goal. My dad has never forgiven him. That's a deep-cut Brazil reference. Um, but I do think some perspective is needed. If you hearken back to the Gold Cup two years ago, yes, the U.S. sent the B team. They won all six games. They won the tournament. So that's been neatly folded into this narrative about the U.S. being so much better than everybody else in CONCACAF. And big picture, I do agree with that. But if you look a little closer, they had a game against Martinique. They won 6-1, which didn't even feel like a real game. I think this upcoming match against St. Kitts and Nevis will be the equivalent of that in this tournament. But the other five games they played were all tight 1-0 affairs that easily could have ended 1-1. So I think the overall takeaway is that these other CONCACAF teams have improved to a point where if the U.S. sends this kind of squad to this tournament, it is going to be a struggle for the most part. Uh, you talk about Jamaica. That front four the other night, they all play in the Premier League. Leon Bailey, Damari Gray, Bobby De Cordova-Reed, Mikel Antonio. You have Andre Blake and Gold. They're bringing on guys like Corey Burke and Shamar Nicholson. It's a pretty good team. So up against the sort of squad the U.S. put together and guys that have never played together before, I expected it to be a struggle. I thought it'd be a little better than it was, but not too far off from what I expected, to be honest. There's a part of me that actually enjoys seeing a situation where the United States is not only competitive, but I think that you can say what, this was a inferior U.S. team to Jamaica. And I guess in that sense, the, the glass is half full in that Jamaica still wasn't able to beat the United States, even with you know, the fact that they were playing this, uh, uh, this, uh, this 11. I, I'm... <sighs> I'm torn a little bit because, and, and I know I've gotten a lot of questions on, uh, on Twitter about why should I care about the Gold Cup if the United States Soccer Federation doesn't care about the Gold Cup because they're not bringing their best players? I do think to give this tournament a greater sense of purpose, it has to be more about the Kate Cowles and Jalen Neals and less about the Jordan Morrises and Aaron Longs. Even when a guy like Aiden Morris struggles, that's still an interesting data point for a young player to know what he can and can't do at this point in his career versus when an Aaron Long or DeAndre Yedlin struggles. We kind of know what those guys are at this point. So I do think this needs to lean more towards the younger players. I'd even like to see Gaga Flonina get a game. Obviously, Matt Turner was great. Uh, he captained the team on his birthday, saved the penalty, as you mentioned. But And I wouldn't do it against St. Kitts and Nevis because we're not going to learn anything about Slonin in that game. But assuming you win that and you're through to the next round, maybe that last group game against TNT, give Slonin a start so we get to see him in this tournament. I do think BJ Callahan generally has to move in that direction of making this tournament about more of the younger guys on the roster. But that doesn't sell. I mean, we're, we're a television network, all right? We, we have the rights to this. We want to sell the U.S. men's national team and we want to sell the stars. You know how I feel about development. I, I, I don't care how it's made. I want to see the final product. 
and I want to see the best U.S. men's national team. Would you allow me to grumpy man just for a second here? Sure. Yeah. Okay, listen. Um, back in the day, <laughs> and I know this was a long, long time ago, the world has changed, soccer has changed, but back in the day, there was a recognition that if you played internationally, that you had additional responsibilities and that you were going to play additional games, you were going to have additional travel in your life. And this was something that was, and even today, is accepted. It's part of the role. Uh, this is not a sacrifice, all right? None, none of the stuff that professional athletes do is a sacrifice. This is something that, again, is voluntary. You don't have to play for your national team. But if you do, you recognize there are going to be these additional uh, responsibilities. I was always of the belief that I did not want to give anybody else the opportunity to take my spot. And so I wanted to play in absolutely every single game, every single tournament. Did I need rest? Yes, of course. And the, the, the thinking right now is that the players, who, certainly many of them who play in Europe, finished their uh, European season. They went into the Nations League. They played a couple of games. And now they have, I guess, the rest of the summer off. And they come back early for, uh, for training with their teams. I, I, I get that. I like the fact that Matt Turner has continued on. And maybe there is a strategy you know, relative to getting games and doing all that. And it's a little bit different situation when it comes to an actual goalkeeper. But I like the fact that I, I get the feeling that Matt Turner would play for the U.S. regardless because he enjoys it. He wants to do it. I don't think he takes it for granted by any stretch of the imagination. And we've already seen how, how good he is. But what I, I understand it, but I don't necessarily like it is why can't more of these players that we saw in the Nations League continue on in the Gold Cup? So you would have liked to have seen guys like Pulisic and Reyna, who, by the way, can't be that tired given uh, how much they played for the That's the other thing when people scream and yell, oh, it's a, it's a new era and it's a new day and they're playing so many games and all that kind of stuff. Well, yes. And by the way, uh, there are plenty of players that play many, many more games than the players that we saw play in the Nations League that are playing games this, uh, this summer. So it, it, it does irritate me a little bit. And, I, and again, I, I recognize that I'm an older person and it, it, it can end up sounding grumpy old man. And we'll get to Mexico in a minute. They have guys like Edson Alvarez and Santi Jimenez at this tournament. I do think part of the thinking for the U.S. was to allow these guys space to sort out their club futures. We're going to get to that in the second segment today. Lots of rumors involving the likes of Christian Pulisic and others. So that might have been part of the. Come equation. on. Really? You think that that's the deal? Because because some of them might be moving. They can't play with the national team while they're moving. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous, Mossy. Come on. Just I, I mean, OK. What I, I was just very, very nice there. What I meant to say was suck it up, Buttercup, all right, and continue on and play for the national team through the summer for the games that we have. Bring your best possible team to the Gold Cup. That's what I want to see. That's what the viewers want to see. That's what American fans want to see. Makes me so angry. All right. Anyway. Now, as for the center forward position, as we mentioned, Vasquez came on and scored the goal. You were not impressed by Jesus Ferreira. I'm getting a lot of tweets about this. Should Vasquez be the starter moving forward? It is an interesting dynamic. It's similar to Holland and Alvarez at Man City, where the understudy is actually older than the more established player. 
Um, what do you think about this Fedeta Vasquez dynamic? Some people even suggesting they should both start that Fedeta playing in an underneath role. I think for I I think that the false nine-ish type of Ferreira that has come and gone. I just it's just not working. But I think that he has something and can work. And when you have somebody in a much more traditional sense, like a Brandon Vasquez, yeah, I, I wanted look, I wanted to see him brought into camp last fall, and. I made a case for him because of the unique way that he plays the position and that nobody else plays it like that, that he should be, uh, he should be involved. Now, he came on as a substitute and scored, and sometimes that's not necessarily fair. And I do think that the U.S. team is going to be playing these next two games against vastly inferior opposition relative to what they faced against Jamaica. And so what's probably going to happen is the U.S. is going to have more of the ball, be more confident. They already got punched in the nose against Jamaica. And to a certain extent, they responded, but they are going to have, I think, much more joy and be much more positive in terms of the outcomes and the play in these next two games. And it will it will kind of shade the way that we look at it in, in, an, in a not quite fair way, because this was the most difficult game in the group that they faced in, in, uh, in Jamaica. A player I'd like to see more on the field is Georgi Mihailovic. Yep. Maybe in that Sonora spot is kind of the 10. I think he could be very successful in that role. I think he's better than Sonora. Oh, I, I thought that Sonora was bad. And I think that Georgi Mihailovic, absolutely, even before that, I, I do want to see ultimately what he, uh, what he looks like. And he came on and he, you know, he did some stuff. For him, though, I think it's, it's more difficult coming on. I think he needs to get into a flow of a game and understand the pacing of it and work himself in from that first uh, first whistle. It's harder for him, I think, as a substitute. I did like James Sands. Again, he's a player I have my eye on in this tournament because I think he could emerge as that backup six to Tyler Adams uh, and off to a pretty good start, I thought. Uh, yes. Do you think... Yeah, I, I, th I think James Sands continues to be one that we all say... He's got something there, and he he holds the ball, and we've seen him at center back. We've seen him in the in the midfield. Yeah, he's got something there. My question to you is, what is the disparity? What is the difference between the team that we saw in Nations League and the team we saw here? In that, if you put, uh, you know, a Weston McKinney, okay, who is in the starting eleven, and we would put him in that A group, right? If he was on the field the other day playing for the U.S., would that fundamentally change the way that this U.S. team played? Potentially, yeah. He just plays at a different speed, a different intensity than these guys, so I think it would raise the level of the whole team. You do? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, what should we go to now? Uh, the rest of the, uh, the schedule and all the other things? Because, you know, they play again uh, on Wednesday. As I said, I think that there will be changes in the lineup, and I do think that there will be changes ultimately in, uh, in the score. And now, because they tied Jamaica, it could come down to goal differentials, so they are going to need to score and score a lot to hopefully finish first in the group. Yeah, next up, Wednesday, St. Kitts and Nevis in St. Louis. That's on FS1. St. Kitts and Nevis, a nice story, by the way. Uh, that's the smallest sovereign state in the Western Hemisphere, a population less than 50,000. This is their first ever Gold Cup. They survived two penalty shootouts in the preliminary round. So we'll have some fun with that in the pregame. Nice little Cinderella story at this tournament. Uh, I uh, had my, um, uh, what do you call it uh, when you go to uh, honeymoon? Honeymoon. I had my honeymoon at Nevis. Wonderful little place. You, we flew to, well, we flew to Puerto Rico and then from Puerto Rico, you can't fly to Nevis. Uh, so then we flew to St. Kitts and then we took a boat across to Nevis. It was wonderful, uh, incredibly beautiful. And then they'll finish up with uh, TNT next Sunday in Charlotte. That's live on Fox. 
We know the U.S. has played TNT several times since then, but I still hearken back to that qualifying defeat that knocked him out of the 2018 World Cup. Alvin Jones scored in that game. He scored in TNT's opener uh, at this Gold Cup against St. Kitts and Nevis. So he's a player we'll highlight. So that'll be fun as well. But they, they should win both these games comfortably. They should. they should. But, you know, this is going to be... This is going to be competitive. And as I said, there's a part of me that kind of likes seeing the U.S. put in a situation where they're not clear-cut favorites and they're not heads and tails, uh, heads and shoulders above the, uh, the opposition that they're facing. So they're going, to have to, they're going to have to figure out a way with this group to do kind of what they did a few years ago and rise above it and prove that they can come together. And they still got time. And conventional wisdom says that in a tournament, you grow into a tournament. And not for nothing, but... Um, only a few short months ago, we saw a team lose their first game and go on to win the tournament in uh, Argentina in the World Cup. So it, it certainly, they didn't lose, the, the U.S. didn't lose, but they, they need to, and I think they can get better and can compete ultimately in this tournament. Uh, Mexico had a much more impressive opener than the U.S. They hammered Honduras 4-0 in Houston. Luis Romo scored twice, including a goal after 51 seconds. Orbelin Pineda and Luis Chavez got the others. The interesting thing here is that we've been framing this as if Mexico is in crisis. And then our good friend Rodolfo Landeros did a report on the pregame show last night in which he said uh, the mood in the camp has been incredibly positive the last few days. This is the happiest Mexican team he's seen since the days of Miguel Herrera. He said everybody loves Jimmy Lozano. They're hoping he gets the job permanently. It sounds like that's a possibility if they have a few more performances like this and they end up winning this tournament. Uh, Impressive start for El Tri. Look, we talked before about how Having a good Mexico is good for the U.S. It's good for CONCACAF. It's good for this uh, good for this tournament. So if there is a much more positive vibe going on right now, and it, it's translating into, I mean, not just a win, but if you watch that game, they kicked the crap out of them. That's a good thing. It's concerning if you're the U.S. in a tournament situation because they will be licking their chops. And Mexico and the Mexican... Fans, they don't care if it's ABC type of team. This ultimately is U.S. In the same way that when we beat Mexico, it's beating Mexico, regardless of the reality of the situation or whoever's on the field. So this could be kind of where they they hang their hat on, okay, yeah, Nations League, whatever, and stuff like that. But we take the Gold Cup seriously. We brought our team. We made the adjustments that we needed to do. And ultimately, if it ends up happening, we kicked your ass and we uh, and we won. And that's that's how it's going to play out. I see from a from a Mexican standpoint and from a U.S. standpoint. Can you imagine if yet again, after all of this and after that first game, they find their way through to the final and then still beat this kumbaya version of El Tri? God, that would be awesome. Oh, and please, and it, soccer gods, make this happen. And again, the final July 16 at SoFi Stadium here in Los Angeles. Yeah, I still think all our larger narratives about El Tri are true. The fact that they brought much closer to their full-strength squad to this tournament, and yet if you hold up their squad in the U.S.'s, I think theirs is only slightly better, which speaks to how much stronger the U.S.'s talent pool is overall. But they do have the stronger squad. I think we're reluctant to call them the favorites at the Gold Cup because the U.S. has had this voodoo over them the last couple of years, unbeaten in the last six, and because of what happened two years ago at the Gold Cup when Mexico was perceived as the favorite and the U.S. beat them in the final. Um, but well, after I, this I, game, I think it's okay to yeah, call them the favorites. I think, and after the poor game the U.S. had, and after this game... I still find that front three of Orbelin Pineda, Uriel Antuna, and Henry Martin so underwhelming. And, you know, I talked about how for the U.S., this Gold Cup has to be more about the Kate Cowles and Jalen Neals rather than the Jordan Morrises and Aaron Longs. Similarly from Mexico, why isn't Santi Jimenez starting these games? He is the player that Mexican fans 
are most excited about right now coming off this great season when Feyenoord scored 23 goals in all competitions. Most goals by a Mexican player in a debut European season ever surpassed the 20 that Chicharito scored for Manchester United several years ago. And yet Henry Martin is starting him. I know Lozano likes him, had him in the Olympic team, but I, I don't know. To me, Santi Jimenez needs to be starting these games. You just want this to be a, a development uh, tournament, do. right? Oh my god! Now, no, interestingly, no, no, to be fair, he is the next Chucky, and 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 I think rightfully so. People are excited about seeing him. Now, uh, Cesar Montes was suspended for last night's game, so Edson Alvarez played in the center of defense. Montes suspended because of the whole Michigas that occurred in the Nations League semifinal against the U.S. Uh, Weston McKinney and Sergio Des also got suspended, and Concacaf. I know a lot of U.S. fans were put off by this. If you watched that game, it was clear to any objective person that Mexico was a team that caused that match to descend into chaos. They were upset because they were getting their ass kicked and they started lashing out. And then, yes, the U.S. players retaliated. They shouldn't have done that. But Mexico was more at fault. And also you had the Mexican fans behaving the way they did with the chance. And yet everything that CONCACAF put out in the last few days was framed in a very both sides kind of, oh, these two teams need to clean up their act. And Weston and Sergino Dest got the suspensions they did. So a lot of U.S. fans were annoyed by that. Look. There, there are no angels. Uh, there are, there are only, uh, in this case, it would be sinners. But there are levels of sinning, and I, I get from a Concacaf perspective, there's, you know, they they need to be sensitive and they need to be to a certain extent political in the way that they frame this and not be viewed as, you know, completely supporting one side over the other. Especially these two teams that they need to create, continue uh, the rivalry. And let's be honest, they need to continue to make money going forward. And so I think that they just wanted to at least appear balanced in the way that they were wrapping knuckles. But to your point, and again, plenty of sinners on the U.S. team at different points. But I think in the context of what we saw in the game, Mexico knew they were done. They knew they were going to lose. They were going to lose bad. And that shame lit a fire that they were going to just muck it up. And and they did. And it's not to say that whether it's Serginho or Weston shouldn't be punished, but there are varying degrees in terms of how the uh, the players behave. And I think if there was an impartial type of viewing, you would look and say, no, Mexico started this shit, and ultimately, while everybody is involved and everybody should be punished, yeah, Mexico, in this case, they deserve much more punishment. Uh, last and Mexico, blame. last Mexico point. I I did like that midfield trio of Romo, Chavez, and Eric Sanchez. I wonder when Cesar Montes is available. Is it definitely that Edson Alvarez pops back into the midfield? Or is there a chance he would start Montes and Alvarez and Vasquez would drop out and keep that midfield three? So we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. The only other game I do want to mention is uh, Haiti beat Qatar uh, 2-1. Qatar back at this tournament. Remember, they were such a star attraction yep. two years ago. They reached the semis. They were the top scorers. At that point, they were preparing for the World Cup. Now the circus has left town, but they're still trying to develop into an elite soccer nation. They hired our good friend Carlos Kirosh, who's been everywhere in the world. He's now coaching Qatar. Um, he's reshaping that team. He didn't even bring Akram Afif. Amwez Ali didn't start. So it's different players than we saw at the World Cup. Um, a rough start for them. He was very unhappy with the officiating. He had a post-game rant that was kind of amusing. Okay. Well, it wasn't the officiating. Okay. <laughs> but I, I like the fact that they 
that just because the circus left town doesn't mean that they are abandoning their aspirations of continuing to get better. And we saw that this was a Qatar team that went all over the world, played in Copa Americas, played in Gold Cups to try to be at their best when the World Cup came about. It was a bridge too far ultimately at the World Cup, but you know this this is a good thing, and we look we look forward and we welcome them to uh, uh, to the Gold Cup. By the way, can, can I just circle back to the U.S. Mexico um, part of uh, part of this? Those incidents. And all those things that happen, while they can stand up on high CONCACAF and say, oh, you can't do that and shake their finger and stuff like that. Part of what fosters that, <laughs> that rivalry and that incredible rivalry, I, I think the, the, the greatest rivalry in international soccer, are those things. And I'm not saying that you encourage it, but it's all kind of part of it. And it's how it's sold and it's how it has developed all of the, you know, the, uh, the history and the heft that is that rivalry. It's very UFC-like. Whenever yes. there's an incident between two fighters, Dana White has to come out and act like he's appalled by what happened, and then he immediately sets up a fight between those two and markets it based on the incident that occurred. And if it bleeds, it leads. And, you know, these types of things, and, you know, they, they make for great visuals, and it gets people up and going. And so it's that, that, that fine balance of not condoning it but recognizing that you need it. It's almost, uh, you, you mentioned WOE, but it's also, there's a hockey element too. Uh, anything else, my friend? That is it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we got some uh, interesting stuff when it comes to Club World Cup uh, and some U.S. men's national team news and notes and some player movement, lots of player movement, potential player movement and player movement. All right, go for it. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we got some news when it comes to uh, Club World Cup, don't we, Mossy? Yeah, FIFA is forging ahead as if this tournament's definitely going to happen, this expanded 32-team Club World Cup in 2025. And the big announcement the last few days, it will take place in the United States, which I think underlines the fact that the U.S. will be the capital of the sports world for the next few years when you consider the fact that we have the Copa America in 24, this Club World Cup in 25 the FIFA World Cup in 26, the Olympics in 28, and possibly the Women's World Cup in 27. Just give us the 27 World Cup. I mean, listen, all soccer roads evidently lead to the United States, and rightfully so, given our existing infrastructure, given the fact that we have a history of putting on big events and we make people a lot of money, and the continued emerging market that is the United States. There, as I've said time and time again, there is gold and them there, American soccer hills, and the world wants to mine it. And there's not a lot of hurdles when it comes to get, you know, giving these, uh, these tournaments because you know they're going to be well attended and you know they're going to be well done. So this is, uh, this is cool. This is going to be fun. Ultimately, see yet another big, big tournament. You, you, you framed it as you didn't think it's actually going to happen or are you forging ahead here in that are you worried that it's not going to actually happen it sounds like it's going to happen but there's still some opposition from uefa so i do think there's still some debates taking place regarding finding a place for it in the calendar uh but fifa we're two years away and fifa certainly thinks it's going to happen so it most likely will can you 
take us through the, the qualifying process because uh, it, it is a little interesting and maybe funky. Well, essentially, it's uh, teams that win their regional competitions over the next uh, three or four years. So, for example, in CONCACAF, we know Monterey, Seattle, and Leon are in it. And then next year's CCL winner will get in it as well. And by this tournament taking place in the United States, we get another MLS team because the host nation gets an additional slot, which is nice because had a Mexican team, if a Mexican team wins CCL next year, it would have felt like a little bit of a letdown in this expanded tournament to only still have only one MLS team, Seattle. Now this guarantees at least two. Uh, and similarly, yeah, we know Chelsea, Real Madrid, Manchester City are in it by virtue of having won the last three UEFA Champions Leagues. And then another European team that wins it next year is going to get in there. We know Palmeiras and Flamengo from South America. And then the next couple of Copa Libertadores winners. And then there are some additional spots. Uh, there's going to be, I think, as many as eight European teams. So... Um, I'd have to look at the fine print a little closer to see how everybody qualifies, but yeah, that, that's the general idea. Well, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, th- I think it's going to be fun, and and as you said, you know, the more MLS teams, I guess, from from my perspective, uh, the better off. But you got to you got to earn it, which is which why it makes that uh, that LAFC loss earlier this year because that would have qualified both for next year's, which is going to be the final version, right, Mossy, of uh, the Club World Cup. Of the of the one that we've been having, yes, yeah, twenty twenty four would be the final one. The eight teams or whatever it ends up, I can't remember what it was. Uh, yes, the, the little one, the little one, and then it goes and then it goes big. All right, what else? Uh, shifting to some transfer news involving U.S. Uh, national team players. First up, Christian Pulisic. Uh, there's chatter that Lyon are interested in him now. In our USA Jamaica pregame, uh, the great Doug McIntyre uh, did a report where he he kind of shot this down. He said that Pulisic's preference would be to play for a Champions League team. Lyon finished seventh in Ligue 1 last season, so they won't be in any European competition this upcoming campaign. It does get into this larger debate with Pulisic of playing time versus prestige. Uh, when Taylor Twelman came on this podcast recently, he implored Christian Pulisic to go somewhere where he's going to start for the next three years, even if that means taking a quote-unquote step down. Now, Pulisic might view Lyon as too much of a step down from Chelsea. He might think there are better clubs where he could start week in and week out for the next three years. So if that's his thinking, do you agree? Yeah, I, why would Christian Pulisic go to Lyon? It makes no sense to me. Uh, it, it's not Champions League, right? Um, and it is, I think, a step down in terms of stature from what he has played, whether it was with Dortmund in, in Bundesliga or uh, in Chelsea. And yes, I, I get wanting to play, but I think that there's other stuff out there. And the other part is, and this is from a much more practical perspective, he has one year left on his deal. And again, is Leon going to pay him what he is making now? Because he's making a boatload of money right now. And a year from now, he will be that much more valuable. And so I, I, I just don't, I don't see, and I don't see Christian Pulisic in France. That, that just seems like a weird place for him to go. And I'm not saying that he wouldn't be challenged or that he wouldn't play and, and do well. I just think, I think there's bigger fish for him out there that, uh, that will come calling. You think Christian Pulisic feels like his problems at Chelsea were unique to Chelsea. He looks around and sees other big clubs of similar stature and sees players starting for those clubs that he thinks he's just as good as. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, I, I think that's fair. And again, by all accounts, Christian Pulisic has enjoyed his time in living in London. So maybe, you know, he wants to continue, you know, he wants to continue to, to do that. But I, I also get the feeling that 
and this is again, this is all from the outside, but I, I, I get the feeling that that Christian Pulisic, and this gets back to the national team, that he loves getting on that plane and going and playing for the U.S. national team. Keep in mind, this is a basically was a kid that went over at a very early age uh, to Europe, and that has you know he's lived in that in that world for a number of years, but. I just get the I get the feeling that that he misses that American upbringing that he had, and I think he really enjoys and embraces coming back to that national team in that setting with a lot of the players that, that also, let's be honest, he kind of he kind of grew up with, and so I think he I think he's picking carefully right now if there is if he does move first and foremost, and if he does move to a place where yes he's going to play, but he's also going to enjoy life and we we concentrate on that 90 minutes and i get that but that other 22 and a half hours is important there is quite the clear out going on at chelsea and it's been aided by saudi arabia which is all a little bit dodgy because uh todd bowley's company has uh business links to saudi arabia so people are investigating this uh saudi arabia has invested money into chelsea and now here they are bailing out chelsea by taking all these big contracts that chelsea would have otherwise struggled to move to help them comply with financial fair play but we've already seen angola kante uh, Koulibaly, Hakim Ziyech, Edward Mendy, all these players are headed to Saudi Arabia, possibly Young as well. And then you have Kai Havertz looks like going to Arsenal, Mateo Kovacic headed to Manchester City, and Mason Mount might be headed to Manchester United. And then you add Pulisic to that, so it, it is... Uh, well, maybe, or maybe he doesn't go. Maybe the, when, the, when the herd is thinned, maybe Christian Pulisic ultimately looks a whole lot better, uh, ultimately. By the way, if you're in business... Given the amount of money and given all the tentacles of Saudi Arabia in business, it stands to reason that if you're in business, you are going to have some sort of connection to Saudi Arabia and that money. So that in and of itself isn't isn't a uh, isn't necessarily a, a problem. And we've talked about the fact that Chelsea needed to do this. They needed to cull. They needed to find ways to literally make their squad smaller. And by doing that, you know, hopefully they'll be better because last year was was not good. And one club that's been linked to Christian Pulisic is Juventus. They're apparently going to sign Timmy Weah, Fabrizio Romano acting like this is a done deal. Remember, Timmy Weah's father, George Weah, played in Italy, starred for AC Milan in the 90s. I believe you played against him. Yes. Uh, actually, I was uh, there for his first goal ever for AC Milan in Serie A. I was marking him on a... Uh, a set piece, and he scored it off the back of his head. He just turned. He knew nothing about it. Went, it went in. I'll, remember, I'll never forget playing against him, uh, the great George Weah. I, I, I was next to him, and I could hear him telling himself, simple, 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 uh, going forward in English, ultimately. He went on to be just an, an incredible player. And so now his son evidently is following in his footsteps. I look forward to, in terms of going to Serie A, and I look forward to seeing Timmy Weah. I think that this is a step up and a challenge but uh, good news for Tim Weah and good news, obviously, in the way that we look at it for the, uh, for the national team. And I hope he plays and I hope he plays well. On the topic of you losing attacking players on our... Was this a topic? I don't, okay. Uh, on our Gold Cup tease, we've been running the very first image is Luis Hernandez scoring in the 98 Gold Cup final. What well, are your I memories? I do a whole podcast that? on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had, we had beaten Brazil in the Gold Cup in the, uh, in the semifinal, Preki. And a wonderful performance by Casey Keller in goal. 
And then in the final, yeah, I lost uh, Luis Hernandez. Not the first defender to be burned by uh, El Matador at the near post. Steve Sampson uh, was not happy with me. Uh, and I wasn't happy my, with myself, but it, uh, it happens. And yeah, ultimately, I was in the Coliseum. And by the way, <laughs> you want to talk about uh, WWE or NHL or you know all the craziness going on? Play Mexico in the Coliseum. All right. It was no holds barred, no rules, complete mayhem, just crap being thrown all over the place. Fights in the stands, fights in the parking lot. It was it was awesome. Anyway, go ahead. But yeah, so because his dad played there, the name Wea has a lot of cachet in Italy. Every article I've, re- I've read in the Italian media about this possible move in the last couple of days mentions that he's George Wea's son. The key for me is what position is he going to play? Because he's leaving Lil ostensibly because he was forced to play fullback last season. He wants to play as a winger. We'll see if that's what Juventus has planned for him. I think that's his best position. And certainly for the U.S. national team, I think he does, as I said before, an incredible job of having the speed in a very different way than Christian Pulisic on the other side and pushing defenders and defenses back because of that speed and what he can do on the wing. So I hope, I hope he plays there in a quadrado type of situation uh, for Juventus. Tyler Adams trying to force his way out of Leeds. They actually want to keep him to play in the championship, but he's made clear he wants to go. He's been linked to a lot of different clubs. The latest rumor is Aston Villa, Unai Emery adding pieces to that midfield. They've already signed Yuri Tielemans. Uh, this would be a world's colliding moment for us because Douglas Luiz, who plays the same position as Tyler Adams, coming off a great season, he was Aston Villa's player of the season. You'd have a Brazilian and an American fighting for a starting spot. I don't want to see Tyler Adams play in the championship. Do you? No. No, right? I mean, I, and I think of certainly of the trio of Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and um, Brendan Aronson. Tyler Adams is the, I think, the most valuable and did himself, you know, the, the best in terms of uh, the, way he is, the way he is viewed. So I would love to see this. And I, I, I'll put Tyler Adams up against anybody. And we were talking off the air, uh, McKinney and Aronson also getting linked different places. This, this didn't make Sean Sullivan's list in the rundown, but McKinney, possibly Roma you're yeah, hearing, right? Yeah, you hear, you hear Roma. And I mean, this is all good stuff to actually have places that want um, these American players. Uh, Brendan Aronson uh, links to, to Fulham. And this is also the silly season and rumors abound. Some of it is actually true. Some of it is just kind of thrown out there by agents. Or uh, or team or teams out there, but that there potentially is interest for these players, it's a good thing because I don't I don't want to see Brendan Aronson, I don't want to see anybody play in the championship if they have opportunities to play in the Premier League. West Ham being linked to Yunus Musa. Keep in mind they're probably going to lose Declan Rice, so Musa would slot into that midfield. How does that one hit you? I mean, even taking my red, white, and blue glasses off, I think any team in the world would be happy and should go out of their way to bring in a player like Yunus Musa. I think he's that good. He's also young. So just purely from a uh, financial perspective, I think he's only going to get better and therefore that much more valuable. So whatever his price tag is here, and this a lot of it's speculation, but if you extrapolate it out, I think he's only going to become more valuable as he gets older and more experienced and knock on wood, he stays healthy. And finally, this is an interesting one. Uh, Arsenal have reportedly slapped a price tag of 45 million euros on Fulhadin Balogun, which it's always curious to me when a club doesn't value a player enough to keep him, but they demand a massive fee for him. They've apparently priced out Leipzig 
who were considered the favorites at one point to sign Balogun. You're still hearing the likes of AC Milan, Inter Milan. But you do wonder, if you're Arsenal and you think he's worth that kind of money, why wouldn't you at least bring him in for the preseason, see how he looks, see if he can have a role on your squad moving forward? Aaron Ramsey, former Arsenal midfielder who played at Nice last season, went up against Balogun in Ligue 1. He's imploring Arsenal to keep him. He said, this guy is the real deal. And yet Arsenal seemed uh, ready to let him walk away. The English have a weird relationship with players who deign to succeed somewhere else. We've seen this with this AC Milan defender, Tamori. Jude Bellingham is so good that he's uh, risen above that. But you're seeing with Balogun, I, I don't know, reading the English media, they don't seem to realize how talented a player this guy is. Well, I mean, is he going to be a uh, Jaden Sancho type of situation? Uh, is he going to come back and actually have benefited from the time and live up to whatever cachet he has accumulated uh, in in... In other places, the number doesn't surprise me. I look at it kind of; these are teams that are not only rich, but they're also notorious for loaning out a lot of players. And so it's it's kind of it's kind of like somebody who is incredibly rich and has multiple houses, right? They they can afford to set the price, even if nobody jumps at it, because all you need is one person to jump at it. And we know as the summer progresses, people get more and more desperate, and so. The price tag is is not a surprise to me because they're not desperate to sell him, and if they do, they might as well get as much money as they possible uh, as they possibly can. Who knows? They might come to a point where, if they truly don't believe that he's part of their future, then they'll just take whatever they can get. But they're not certainly not at that point yet. And you're right, Jaden Sancho hurt my argument there. I'm sure perpetuated this bias in England because that's a player who was all world in the Bundesliga and then he's gone to Manchester United and not been nearly as good. So, well, we know that the environment that you are in is ultimately going to define you and taking somebody out of that environment. Not everybody travels well and not, not everybody is able to adjust. Even if they're coming back to <laughs> the country of origin, it's still a very, very different situation. So, um, I, which is why I put more credit and we've had this conversation over the years, the Evergreen, uh, why I give more credit to players and coaches that are able to do it successfully and consistently at a high level in multiple places as opposed to a single place. Well, that's it on the player front. We had some big managerial news in MLS that broke this morning. Bob Bradley is out in Toronto. Keep in mind, he's been the coach and sporting director there. Uh, he took over at the start of the 2022 MLS season. Uh, Toronto, second to last in the East right now. The only team below them is Lionel Messi's Inter-Miami, but... It's been very disappointing for Bob Bradley in Toronto, so no surprise this news. So, so Bob Bradley is 65, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Yeah, 65 years old, already a, a living legend when it comes to the game. This, I'll be interested to hear, you know, Bob Bradley doesn't talk, talk a whole lot, but if he were to talk about his time in Toronto, I'll be interested to hear about the, the drama behind the scenes and the, uh, the palace intrigue that inevitably uh, occurs in some of these bigger clubs. It's not for lack of players. It's not for lack of money. It's not for lack of ambition. It's not for lack of history when it comes to quality and success. And so this is not the, the biggest surprise. And because they have a lot of money, I think that they can afford to do this and pay him out going forward. What will be interesting, as I said, is what the story was behind the scenes. And it'll eventually come out either directly or indirectly. And then what is what does Bob Bradley's future hold? Does he want, I don't think he would want to go out like this. Would he want to continue in a coaching capacity or kind of become a much more front office sporting director type of 
situation, which I've always, and I've known Bob for a long time, I've always felt that the public facing and um, big personality character type of expectation that we have of coaches is not something that Bob Bradley has a lot of time for, cares for, and probably he would be the first to admit is something that he is, he is good with. But ultimately, from a TFC perspective, again, it's a rebuild. Again, it's trying to find the right person to lead, to lead this club. Now, on the outside, you would say that there's dysfunction going on, which shouldn't even necessarily be surprised because if you know, you know Toronto, F, uh, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs history and all that, um, you know, this is a this is an organization with a lot of money, with a lot of dreams, hopes, aspirations, and just hasn't found any type of consistency to get the success that they want. Uh, I don't know what Bob Bradley. And there's also the dynamic of Michael Bradley. We just uh, have learned that he's getting his coaching licenses, and that that would be a logical type of progression for Michael Bradley. But again, now he's still part of the organization, and he's still playing. And now you've just fired his father, and he's been through this before. So he, he understands that this is part of the uh, part of the gig, but how this ultimately impacts Michael Bradley. And is Michael Bradley so ensconced now in the Toronto FC scene, now having been there so many years, does he come back to the United States? Does he go someplace else? Does he finish playing uh, and, be, and join a coaching staff going forward? I don't know, a lot of uh, things that'll, and tentacles to this, uh, to this move, but Bob Bradley out. Anything else, my friend? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send us in your comments, questions, and concerns out there on the uh, social media platforms. And by the way, our handle is SOTU with Alexi. Uh, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. If you do uh, send it on the uh, social media platforms, use that hashtag Ask Alexi, if you will. Masi, what do we have this episode? Uh, first up, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hey, y'all. This is Sully calling from College Station, Texas. 
You know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Greg Burkhalter not coaching at the Gold Cup. But uh, do you think that maybe B.J. Callahan has actually earned the right to coach this tournament, considered that he's stepped into a difficult situation and has performed pretty well for the team? Uh, oh, also, uh, have either of you ever watched the television show B.J. and the Bear? And what do you think about the 1970s trucker genre? All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Keep it up. Bye. All right. Uh, thank you, Sully. Yes, I have watched the uh, show BJ and the Bear, and there was a whole trucker and CB type of genre that uh, that emerged, smoking the bandit and that kind of stuff. Love it. Love it. Uh, just feed it into my veins, and then it kind of went into cannonball runs and that, all that kind of stuff. I I, I love it. Mossy, what the... Uh, Sully is from College Station. Do you know about College Station? That's uh, that's the name. That's the name of the town. Is College Station, Texas A and M, Texas, right? Oh. Texas A and M University. I don't know about uh, you know why it's called College Station. I'm sure there's a story, and I'm sure there's people right now that are listening, going, "You moron!" It's because blah 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 blah. Well, you know what? I will educate myself before the next show to figure that out. But regardless, thank you, Sully, for calling from College Station. Yeah. So earning the right to coach. Let's be honest, this is now the second interim coach, and so this was next man up. Uh, has he earned the right? Uh, no. I mean, he hasn't done anything other than be an assistant coach, and part of being an assistant coach is kind of being ready for if and when something happens. Either a coach goes down, uh, you know, a, a, an incident happens, or obviously, more traditionally, there's a firing or a, and a changing. And so... Yeah, I'm. I am interested to see what he, what BJ has in store. I will say this: I do think that Greg Berhalter, and we talked to uh, BJ before the start of the Gold Cup, and he was very honest with us and said that of course he is in communication with Greg Berhalter. And if you if you haven't been watching or paying attention, Greg Berhalter, while being named the head coach for the second time in the return of Greg Berhalter, he is in the stands and not coaching this Gold Cup. I do think that Greg Berhalter, in the same way that he gets a kick and joy and a sense of pride in seeing his players develop and evolve, I think he has enjoyed and is enjoying watching B.J. Callahan take this team through the Gold Cup. BJ told us that while they do have communication, ultimately it is his call. And we'll talk about you know starting lineups here in a in a second. But I I don't think it's about what he deserves. And whatever BJ gets out of this in terms of the positives, that's great. He will be able to put it on his resume. He has said that he wants to continue, like any assistant coach wants to be a head coach, wants to possibly get an uh, an MLS job. And if he does well in this Gold Cup, I think that will only further his reputation. And let's be honest, nobody had heard of BJ Callahan before this. There was BJ, who, what, what's going on right now? And so this is a great opportunity for him. And I do think that he is being given autonomy right now to coach this team. And I do think that while Greg Berhalter is not inconspicuously, but very conspicuously kind of waiting in the wings and in the stadium, I do think that he gets an opportunity. And if B.J. Callahan continues on as an assistant coach, which if nothing else bigger comes along, I would feel that he wants to do, 
he will have benefited and therefore Greg Berhalter will have benefited from this time and ultimately the U.S. men's national team will have benefited. Mossy? Let me get to the next Twitter question because it ties into something you just said. Uh, So next up, we have a Twitter question from Nick Smith. He asks, he says, remedial question, how are lineups chosen? Uh, If you believe Twitter the other night, the U.S. lineup against Jamaica was chosen by B.J. Callahan picking an 11 and then Greg Berhalter interceding and saying, no, start these players instead. So there was that conspiracy theory on Twitter a couple nights ago. <laughs> Dude, we are we are running on a tinfoil, okay? There's not enough tinfoil for the American <laughs> Twitter soccer sphere out there. Um, and look, I, I love that people are paying attention. I love that people talk about this and debate this. But... Okay, to answer Nick's question, Nick Smith, in the ideal and pristine type of world, the coach, manager around the world, depending on what you call it, ultimately makes the call. He or she obviously discusses the starting 11 with the staff that they have and picks brains and takes different levels of involvement and input and then ultimately makes the decision as to who the 11 is. We all know that that is the ideal and that is not always how it works. And there are incredible stories of backroom politics and backroom power plays and whether it's sporting director or owners or others being involved. And I'm not naive, you're not naive, there are certainly situations where there are multiple cooks in the kitchen. And at times that can make it very, very difficult in terms of that dynamic for head coaches to feel that sense of autonomy and to ultimately do what they want to do. Because if, if your boss comes to you, Mossy, and says, listen, I'm not telling you what to do, but I think X is a good thing. And you don't think that X is a good thing. It puts you in a very difficult position. And first off, your boss is being an asshole by doing that and putting you in that position. And it undermines your authority. And ultimately, you might be faced with making a decision that you know in your heart and all of your experience is not what you want to do. That's not the case here. I truly believe that while there is certainly contact and communication, as there should be with the freaking head coach, even though he's not on the actual field and not coaching, quote-unquote, coaching through this Gold Cup, because you already have an existing relationship between B.J. Callahan and Greg Berhalter, it makes sense for them to communicate. But I do trust that Greg Berhalter, in his capacity right now, even though this is, by all accounts, being dictated by the United States Soccer Federation and Matt Crocker, that this is what they want to do. I do trust that Greg Berhalter recognizes that it's actually going to help B.J. Callahan and then maybe help him to have this type of experience to give him the ability to to do it. And and again, it doesn't mean that you don't have your your input. I know the dynamic's a little weird there, but but Mossy, uh, there are certainly situations around the world where, like I said, owners and people in authority make their feelings heard, and coaches have to act accordingly when that happens. Well, Gio Reyna started the Nations League final, so we know Berhalter didn't pick that 11. Can we just put that to rest, too? Okay, <laughs> if, if Greg Berhalter had been the coach in the Nations League, 
All right. You don't think that I know you, I'm just saying, but do you think really don't think out there with a healthy Giorena and with an with no Tyler Adams, you don't think that Greg Berhalter would have started Giorena? I think he would have. Absolutely he would have. Oh my God, the tinfoil. All right. It's too first off, loosen it. It's obviously too tight for a lot of you out there. Can I make my second deep cut Brazil reference of the Abs- pod? Absolutely. There's never enough deep cut Brazil references. Go ahead. Uh, 1998 World Cup final. The day of the final, Ronaldo had a seizure in the hotel, had to get rushed to the hospital, wasn't going to play. A team sheet was released an hour before kickoff that didn't include him. And then he showed up at the stadium, said, I'm fine. I want to play. There was this whole debate about it in the locker room. Lo and behold, he ended up starting. To this day, there. All sorts of conspiracy theories about how he ended up back in the starting lineup. Some people think even Nike executives interceded or members of the Brazilian Federation. Uh, so th- that's probably one of the more controversial lineup circumstances in football so, history. So those are the outside influences. And that absolutely is a thing. Uh, people have a lot of a lot at stake, a lot riding, a lot of money when it comes to a lot of these players being on the field. And if they feel that voicing their opinion will have an effect, you're damn right they, they are going to do it. Again, you know, back to Nick's question. I, I, and again, this is idyllic. But if you are a head coach that has a staff that you picked personally, you have to feel that you, you picked them for a reason. And I like to think that it's because of the wealth of knowledge that they have you know, the things that they can do that you maybe can't do, the things that they can see that maybe you can't see that augment what you are. But there is still only one leader. And ideally, before the game, you get in a room with your staff and you say, all right, we're playing this team. And we all know these are the, you know, the, the challenges that we face. What do you think that 11 should be? And, and you start talking it through. You put it up on a board. And ideally, and this takes sometimes a strong person as a leader in that coaching position, that what you want in that situation, what I think you would want in that situation, is to be challenged by your staff. Not in a completely adversarial way or a disrespectful way, but in a way that says, if Masi, you're the head coach and I'm on your staff, I say, okay, you think that this player should be playing here on the, uh, on the right side. I think that we should be playing this player. And here is why I think it's going to happen. Now, ultimately, you're going to make that decision because you're the head coach, but you're going to take that information and use it ultimately to make a more informed decision. And in that I disagree with you, you are actually going to respect the fact that I disagree with you and that I am making that position. Because ultimately, even if you decide to go one way or the other, you're going with a much more informed decision. What you don't want to have happen and what we see time and time again is a bunch of yes men, bunch of yes women. Okay, this is what the coach does and I'm too afraid to say anything even though I believe that they're wrong. Speak now or forever hold your peace. And if you can't, as a head coach, deal with that type of interaction and that type of discussion and even that type of debate and criticism, then I don't think you're, I think you're doing yourself ultimately and ultimately your team a disservice. Anything else, Mossy? All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for the end of our show. And at the end of our show, you know I give you my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, 
Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back to the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, I uh, I was not involved in our broadcast yesterday of uh, the triple header over there in the Gold Cup. But it's it, it while it irks me and hurts me to not be involved in anything, and I have FOMO, it's for a good reason. Uh, I drove out to uh, Ontario, California yesterday with my family, and I was involved in an incredible uh ceremony, if you will. I was inducted into the California Sports Hall of Fame. Now, what I come to find out is that until the mid-aughts, California did not have a Sports Hall of Fame. All of the history, all of the incredible athletes that have either come from California, made their name in California, done things in California, and yet California did not have its own sports hall of fame. Blows my mind. Well, that was remedied back in the mid-aughts by a man by the name of Christian Okoye. Now, you might know him as a NFL, legendary NFL running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he looked at the landscape and he said, how is it possible that California does not have a Hall of Fame. And so he took it upon himself to go and establish the California Sports uh, Hall of Fame. As was said last night, it took a dude from Nigeria to bring about the California <laughs> Hall of Fame. And for those that know, don't know Christian's uh, background, he is from Nigeria, grew up in Nigeria, big soccer fan, uh, an incredible discus thrower, and came over to university uh, to, um, uh, to throw the discus and to go to university over in the U.S., and ultimately, at one point, late on in his college career, when he was already 24, 25, he said, I'm going to play football and had never played it before, ended up starring in college and then being drafted and going on and being an incredible um, running back for, uh, for Kansas City. And he, like I said, took it upon himself to establish the California Sports Hall of Fame. I went in, in with uh, some wonderful... Uh, uh, for some wonderful other uh, athletes and uh, journalists. Dave Stewart, um, Norm Nixon, Kenny Easley, Rick Lozano, who is a wonderful uh, local broadcaster, sports broadcaster who's been around California and L.A. broadcasting forever, uh, the late, great Terry Donahue, uh, and then myself. And it was a, just a, a wonderful, wonderful evening. They create busts for you. And this is me, if you're watching, you can see, this is me with said bust. Now, they ask you to send in a picture that you want the bust to be based on. There was some debate as to whether I do my old school goatee and hair thing for the bust or do the much more updated um, clean cut version of myself. And because this was kind of everything that you've done on and off the field, ultimately I came to the decision, all right, I'm going to do this as opposed to the, uh, the goatee. But it was a, it was a wonderful night, incredibly uh, privileged. Um, and what an incredible honor to be into the California sports hall of fame in my, in my talk to the, uh, the, the masses there, I talked about how California has been a huge part of my life and many, many good things in my life, whether it's on the soccer field from the 1994 World Cup uh, or winning an MLS Cup with uh, the LA Galaxy, 
94 World Cup, by the way, in, in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl and that kind of stuff, or off the field, you know, being involved with the Galaxy and introducing Beckham to the world here for the Galaxy, or all of the stuff that I've done here with you and, and everybody else uh, when it comes to Fox. California has played a huge, huge part. And I grew up in, in the suburbs of Detroit, in Michigan, like a lot of people fantasizing and romanticizing uh, California and watching you know, it was music, it was uh, film, it was television, it was chips, and it was fast times at Ridgemont High, and it was <laughs> Three's Company, and, uh, you know, all the different music, obviously the 80s when it came to uh, metal and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, even at a young age, said, I'm going to head to California at some point. And I jumped at the first chance, and I've just kept coming back here, and I've made my life here. And so, a wonderful, wonderful honor. I have actually known about this for quite some time. About three weeks ago, I received an email from two of our editors at Fox, Adam Inman and Sophia Giordano. They told me that you were getting inducted into the California Sports Hall of Fame and that they had to put together a video of your career and could I help them uh, find clips? And so I had to do a deep dive uh, of Alexi Lalas on YouTube, finding some nice goals you scored. Also some fun stuff. I found a clip of you playing guitar in Italian television in the <laughs> mid-90s. And so I sent them a whole list of uh, suggestions for them to use. I'm not sure how much they did. A, they did a great job and it, show, uh, it showed, I think, you know, the, the spectrum of... of of who I am. I was incredibly humbled and thank you to them uh, and you for, for putting that together. It was a bunch of goals and it was some music and it was me with uh, Mary Kate and Ashley and all the different I things sent them that, that, clip, that, yeah. that were, that were going on. My kids, uh, they were laughing at me even more so than they normally do. I have two teenagers and their dad could not get any more uncool. Even after last night, uh, I'm still incredibly uncool, but at least they sat through the entire thing and didn't throw anything. Incidentally, I mentioned a few pods ago that you brought your son into work. You brought your daughter into work for our first day of the Gold Cup. I did. You know, I am fortunate enough to work with some incredible men and women, and I want to get them in front of all of these badasses in terms of what they do. And so whether it's a, a Zach Kenworthy or a Courtney Stockmall, uh, who is our incredible director, I, I, you know, and it's summertime and so they have the time. And so they have come in, each of them at different times and kind of seen from a very different vantage point, what goes on and all of the incredible work. For example, my, my daughter, after spending some time sitting in the control room and seeing how, you know, seeing how the sausage is made, to be quite honest with you, uh, she did remark that what she what she thought or what she saw was interesting was you have to have a very thick skin to be involved in television production and i think that that's actually a good lesson for her to learn in that you know people yelling or people being adamant about something or even people saying stuff that you might in your very sheltered cloistered world might think is mean or hurt your feelings well, suck it up, Buttercup. Welcome, welcome to life. And I'm not talking about stuff that's beyond the pale or anything like that. But this is, as you know better than anybody, this is a high-pressure type of business. And the environment and the climate around it, stuff needs to get done. And if you can't do the job, one, you're gonna, you're gonna get be, be very, it's gonna be very, very clear to you when you are messing up. And two, somebody else is going to take that job. So you better get your, you know what, together. And so I think that's an important lesson to learn. It's, you know, not everybody is going to hold your hand through everything. Not everything is going to tell you how, not everybody is going to tell you how great you are. And it's okay. You're going to be fine. 
So I had a meltdown in the control room during the U.S. Jamaica pregame in building the Jamaica lineup. I gave the information to Mark Mason and he had the fullbacks flip the Mari Bell and Len Bikisa for Jamaica. We managed to fix it at the last minute, but when I saw the lineup wrong, I started yelling at him and I had to contain myself. So yeah, it does happen. It's a tense it's environment. It's okay. It's all right. It's it, And it's a good, like I said, it's a good lesson to learn. You don't want to make it a habit of being a jerk or being, you know, or screaming and yelling at everybody, but you know, all industries have their their dynamics and have their traditions and stuff like that. And things change going forward. But both of them ultimately had a real great appreciation for what goes what goes on in terms of making myself and others look good ultimately on the screen. And it's not it's not easy. And a whole lot of incredible men and women behind the scenes doing that kind of well, thing. Well, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you. Deal. Thank you. It's uh it's pretty cool. Now I, I will say this, Mossy, and they were adamant last night and I had not known about this. I'm the first soccer player to go in. So our friends, you know, whether it's Eric Winalda or Julie Foudy or Brandy Chastain or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. We need to get more soccer people in there, given the incredible history when it comes to what this state has meant to the game. Uh, and that I'm the first, I'll, I'll take it, but there's other people that are absolutely uh, shoe-ins and should certainly have been there before me. I am disappointed it was only a bust. The last sculpture we showed on this podcast was Marcelo Gallardo, a full right. statue with this massive genitalia. I would have been curious to see how they would have portrayed you in that regard. Well, I think I'll leave it to our, our viewers and our listeners' imagination when it comes to how my genitalia would have been portrayed. But this was, you know, from you thought my, my, my head was big. Well, there's a whole nother big head there. <laughs> All right. With that, I think uh, I think we will leave you. Thank you so much for listening and uh, downloading and reviewing and rating and doing all the different things that you do. We come to you ag again from our incredible new studios and we continue to access and utilize all the bells and whistles that we have. This was a little bit more traditional and I hope that uh, hope that you enjoyed it. We will talk to you again later on this week. We continue on with our Gold Cup coverage. And as we said, it's just going to segue right into this summer of soccer. Uh, and into the uh, Women's World Cup. So all sorts of stuff is, up, uh, is upon us. Like I said, we'll talk to you again later on this week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day. <laughs>